In times like these, being a citizen is a big job. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self-rule and debate the state of our republic. Welcome to the Citizen's Prerogative Podcast. This is the voice of your nerdy host, Michael Piscatelli, and we are inspired by a co-host whose passion for our republic proceeds in everywhere he goes, Raymond Wong Jr. I take complete ownership. Hello, hello. So glad to be here. This is episode number 65. We are in season three, and the title of this episode is probably going to be Capital and Ownership Journey. It's going to be a new donut experience. That's what we have proposed for you today. So we're going to open this one up with a series of questions, and then we're probably going to answer those questions, and then we're going to have still some calls to action. but this one's pretty meaty about the economy. It's time we take a break from some of the heavier leaning, more politically oriented aspects of things and start revisiting some of the goodies that we could be contemplating for a much better future economically for us all. After all, the economy is the engine that drives all of our prosperity and inequality and destruction of the earth. which we've got to do something about, right? So high time we get back to it. So the few questions we're going to try and address today um, include, how can capitalism be merged into the donut economic model? If I properly prepared for this episode, I would refer back to our previous episodes on the donuts. Um, I will make sure that that's included in the notes so that you can go back and listen to some of those episodes if you're wondering what we're talking about. They are delicious, they are tasty, but more importantly, they can save us all. Circular economics, donut economics, whatever you wanna call it, we like donuts. The other question we're dealing with is how can we have a system that facilitates the creation of new businesses without the burden on the biosphere that gets placed on it from unending economic growth and profits, right? Today, a line goes up, chart goes up, all that counts is I start a business and it just grows and grows and grows into perpetuity. And there's nothing sustainable about that at all, um, which is partly why we have bankruptcy in the system, because if you can't sustain unending growth, at some point, your company probably goes out of business. And so we don't need to have this boom and bust, boom and bust, boom and bust, as we've learned throughout history by implementing new regulations, et cetera, it's time for us to build a brand new economic model to finally put to bed the boom and bust that's just a part of the system. Um, so that's what we're hopeful about. And then the last question is here, how do we get to something more sustainable? So if it's not boom and bust, then it has to be sustainable. What does that look like? How do we do it? The good news is we've learned so much in the last, what, 100 years of capitalism, or I don't know how long how long it's been around. Maybe, yeah, it's not that old. It's a pretty young idea. And we've only tested it on like one, one model for profit. That's it. It's the only goal we've given it. And, and then we've accepted some people from having to make profit, but they still do make profit and they still have salaries and they still have employees. They just don't have shareholders. So Let's not get bogged down into for-profit versus non-profit. All companies are companies and they're all created for groups of people in order to deliver a product or service 
and they take in money, whether it's donations or you know selling products or or anything like that. It's all about moving money, taking money from where it needs to be, putting it where it's useful and benefiting society at the end of the day. And so we just need to come up with a way to do that more sustainably. So we've demonstrated capitalism as a model, as a system that can work, it's effective, and it needs to be updated, needs an upgrade. It seems like all systems need the same upgrade, right? An, an accountability, um, an accountability filter or mechanism. Oh, it are, it already exists. It's the it's the American people. We we have that right. We have the we have the a certain inalienable right. Some would would say uh, to hold people accountable at all levels. Why does it stop? At this this certain level, right? We we get away with things happening that we 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 can hold them accountable to, and we have so many levers to pull. And if we don't have the levers, the government should enable us. That's a great point because we sometimes we seem to harp on the wealthy because of all the liberties they get to enjoy that the non-wealthy don't. Right? Liberty should be equal for all of us. But the more money you have, essentially, the more freedom you build or buy for yourself. Companies are in the same boat, right? The more profit they make, it seems like the more liberty they have to pollute or steal or cheat. (laughs) Whether you're a wealthy individual or a wealthy company, the more money you have means, uh, you know, I can take a little risk because I can afford to pay that billion dollar fine. But at the end of the day, that's just not appropriate, not healthy and not sustainable, right? So... We need to hold, we need, we need mechanisms for that level of accountability for sure. And regulation is so far the primary method we've been using. But, you know, if we design the system to actually do a better job in and of itself, you wouldn't need so much top-down regulation, right? It's just the regulation is trying to put the boundaries up where the system is not set up with its own checks and balance as well. And keep in mind that our constitution only designed our government, it didn't design the economy, nothing in the constitution about the economy. So let's reestablish that for the record. We've talked about it in the past. Since we're talking about economics again, let's remind everybody that it is only the government that creates the ability for businesses to exist. It builds the framework to establish a business, to operate a business and all of the rules and laws in conducting a business. And since it is considered an individual or an entity, it should actually be bound by some moral obligations as well. I don't know why humans, right, have to be bound by moral obligations, but companies don't, even though they're humans too, or groups of humans. It's like the Hippocratic Oath for the, but for business, right? It's, it's, it's the next level of maturity. Um, there are certain industries that are more present to your you, Americans, like, and, and people, Right. I think that the medical profession, we could agree that you can't get away from what just happened. Right. They're interacting with your family in a most intimate scenario. It, therefore, it's a highly regulated environment. It's, it's a highly certified environment. And I, I think it comes down to a similar situation for us. If you are a corporate officer, you have a oath you have an obligation to make sure your corporation is not damaging anyone, your employees, your, your shareholders, and then the, the earth, right? Out moving your plant to another country still is, is causing material harm to someone. So how about we eliminate the, 
reason we need to use this toxic chemical and build this plant in another country to avoid regulation. It really comes down to a, a social responsibility. Here, here. And just as a reminder for me and others, Hippocratic oath is like, do no harm, right? I, I think so. Anyway, it, that's the point we're making in, in any case. Uh, the donut model would actually ask you to leave things even better than you found it, if, if at all possible. So um, maybe I made that up. Let's just pretend that's in there. <laughs> I, I'm thinking about life and biomimicry and the fact that um, nature, in all the processes we've observed in nature, all natural processes leave nature more conducive to life. It's, it's really interesting. Like even our excrement, it's not good for us, but it's good for nature. It's so nasty, but I was thinking that I was walking through the parking garage and I was trying not to be angry at the pigeons that literally have covered the entire garage. And I said, now we built this garage and that, that, that poop would have naturally landed somewhere if it wasn't for us building the garage. So I will not be angry at these pigeons. That concrete we place there has interrupted the natural cycle of fertiliz not that, fertilization. <laughs> there should be a forest floor. And everyone that gets angry at pigeons, just remember they are doves that are not white. So please be patient. <laughs> They're very peaceful birds. Okay, let's jump into our proposal here. We've got um, some ideas. It'll be interesting to see how well we can elaborate on these things because we're neither of us are economists. We just are big idea folks. You know us. Um, so here's what we propose. The whole idea here, taking a step back, we, we want a sustainable set of practices, principles, and a path. I mean, the episode has the term journey in it for a reason. And so we're just going to talk a little bit about theoretically what a more sustainable capitalist journey would look like for any business entity or you know entrepreneur who's who's starting operating and potentially selling a business to exit um so for for people who may have not studied a lot of business or uh, economic cycles or things of that nature i'm just going to take a minute to talk a little bit about how theoretically things work today right you're an entrepreneur a small business owner you're somebody who has an idea for a product or service and you want to offer it to sell it make it available to people, solve a problem, and uh, make some money in, in the process. And so normally you'd go through whatever you need to do to define what that is, whatever that product or service is, and then go seek funding, capital funding, in order to create that product or service, whatever it takes to do it, deliver it to a marketplace where it can be sold, and return some revenue back to your company so that you can continue making the product and also pay back your investors and at some point maybe even give yourself a paycheck. And then eventually the whole model is designed if you don't go bust because a lot of small businesses don't make it into maturity. But if your business makes it to maturity, at some point you're going to be like, okay, either I want to run this thing all the way till I die or I'm ready to exit. Like I've, I've had fun. I've done my thing. I have an idea for another business or another product and service. And so now I want to exit this one, but it doesn't mean the business has to end. There's a lot of ways to exit as an entrepreneur. There's a lot of ways to exit a business. Usually it involves selling it. So you sell your ownership stake. 
or whatnot, and you cash out, I'll use air quotes. Um, and so depending on who you sell that business to, you know, just kind of determines what kind of company it becomes, right? You can sell that business to another private party. I mean, doctors do it, lawyers do it, you know, law practices all the time merge or, or a larger law practice buys a smaller one because they want to move into a certain geography or, or diversify the type of law that they practice, for instance, right? And those tend to be partnerships or smaller companies. And so that can all happen. And then there's larger companies, for instance, like, you know, Meta or whatever you want to put out there, Amazon, and you hear this IPO initial public offering. Well, that's a different method, right? You can you can sell your company or your business to a private party, another set of individuals or an individual. You can sell it to venture capital. Some people who just have a pooled boat of money. Like I think Dell's gone into private ownership through venture capital. Um, several companies have come and gone from public to private ownership through venture capital. Um, or you do an IPO and so then you sell stock to anybody who can buy stock on like New York Stock Exchange or something like that, right? And so that company raises capital. You exit, you get paid out because these new owners in the open market have purchased the stock that you are able to then exit with. Um, or, or, you know, you're selling it to these new owners essentially. And then you move on with your life. You take your money, you move on, but the company doesn't, the company just is still expected to grow and has new ownership and, and it's supposed to happen unlimited forever and consume all kinds of mass quantities of resources and, and things of that nature. And so that's where it really goes off the rails for the environment, for people, um, when these things just get bigger and bigger and bigger and they're more conglomerated. And at the end of the day, we don't even know. We, we think we're shopping at different places, but they're all, they all end up being owned by the same company, which is kind of crazy. So it's a little bit like that's the current state. That's, that's what we live with today. So we're pro proposing some changes to this, right? Um, I think the beginning of a business in its life cycle is probably going to be remarkably similar in this new proposed model we're putting forth. Um, your startup, right? And as a startup, you're pretty risky. You're not going to go out to public capital markets. You're going to look for some private money. Um, so you're going to you're going to be in the startup phase with getting validated. Your product and service is going to get validated with some private money, and you're going to try and also feed a growth cycle to grow it. So you can demonstrate, yes, people want this thing. It's valuable. I can sell it. Now we need to grow, right? And so that can be you set up a corporate entity, uh, a lot of startups, especially to limit your liability. So you have maybe you have your own nest egg. You've been saving for retirement, but you don't want your company to take that out, right? So that's why most people either create an LLC or an S corp or a C corp or, or something like that to protect their assets and create this other entity now that can have a life of its own and it can raise money and, and cost money. And, and if it goes out of business, it doesn't take you out with it. But raising the money is pretty, pretty challenging, right? Most people go through venture capital or nowadays we actually have some peer-to-peer -peer investing platforms, which I think is really great. I think that's really helpful, like microloans for smaller businesses, things like that, right? So you can always sell private shares in your business to friends, family, and anybody else who you're willing to give you money. And it's not just, you know, it's not like maybe they're buying a lottery ticket, but they're going to get like a share of your company in return. So if the company does 
end up getting big, you know, they have a, they have a piece of ownership in that. Um, and then, like I mentioned, seed capital through peer-to-peer investing and other things. However you would go about raising money, you would still do it. I mean, I think ultimately I would like to see, you know, more diversified resources become available, like the Small Business Administration maybe doing direct loans and not relying on banks and giving banks like 50% underwriting, right? Like that's kind of how SBA works. If you go to a bank today and you want a small business loan, the bank is going to issue the loan and they're going to, you know, they're going to be on the hook for half of it. And then the government's on the hook for half of it. Um, but if that bank doesn't want to do that loan, then it doesn't get done. Or that bank doesn't do SBA loans, then the loan doesn't get done. But you should just be able to go to the SBA and get the 50% equivalent of whatever that capital was, in my opinion. So that's one area that might be part of the proposal. And banks can be chartered to, to do so, right? We have the, like all of, all banks are regulated. They, they, they can have, the rules can be adjusted accordingly to say, you must reinvest, right? I think we talk about levers uh, that we need to have in this economy. And that's one of them is that there, there can be requirements. They already have community reinvestment requirements or social corporate social responsibility requirements out there, but you could also behoove them to make sure they're reaching to all levels of the, of the system. No, that's right. Yeah. So that's the startup phase. Startup phases are always challenging. You're probably starting with some of your own money on your own credit cards, which I don't recommend. Um, but people do whatever they can to quote unquote bootstrap their way to get something off the ground, demonstrate the product, and then you can get other people to give you money. And then eventually, if it's successful, you go into growth, right? And we think this next phase is supported relatively well by the current system. Um, call this the public cycle growth process. So again, you're probably some kind of corporate entity. You're an entity that can operate on its own, not you, but your company can operate on its own. It can borrow on its own. It can pay its own bills. And if anything happens to it, it doesn't take out your personal assets. So around this time where the growth is taking off, it generally becomes a better opportunity to look for bigger investors. And those bigger investors can come in the form of larger venture capital firms, which probably outgrown the peer-to-peer area. You'd need way too many peer-to-peer loans in order to facilitate the type of growth at this level. So you're looking at large venture capital, groups of venture capital, maybe even, maybe even banks, but bank financing tends to be pretty difficult just depending on how well established and how much free cash flow your company has available. And then there's public um, you know, going into public trading. So you, you offer shares of your company on public platforms like New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, et cetera. And people buy a share of ownership in your company and give you money for it. And you use that money to operate the business. We've demonstrated that works pretty well and it's relatively well-regulated. You know, we still have some insider training issues and things of that nature, but, um, we don't have any proposals necessarily to modify that other than cleaning up some of the regulation and making sure that you know there's we're eliminating conflicts of interest between lawmakers and ownership of stock and, and the things of that nature. Where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, is in the final phase of these corporations. So you think about the biggest companies you've ever heard of, and I will tell you there's bigger ones you've never heard of. 
most of the biggest, oldest companies that are out there are really unbeknown, unknown uh, to us in general. Um, so that doesn't matter. What matters is that they're the reason why that is the case is just because they have to continue to grow. They have to continue to acquire other companies, restructure themselves, improve their, you know, profit margins and, and things of that nature. And it's just not sustainable. So this final phase for companies is really what we're looking at is, is the crux for changing the system in, in the place where it probably performs the worst. And it's about introducing the sustainability and ending, put a cap on or ending this uh, need to have growth for forever, right? Growth in profit, growth in revenue. That's where it becomes a burden to society. It becomes a bur burden to our ecosystem um, and our ability to just continue to do things on a regular basis. And so we consider this the community reinvestment cycle for a common good. So once a company, you know, you, you're an entrepreneur, this is like the big argument around capitalism is that entrepreneurs take on a lot of risks. They should get a lot of reward for taking those risks. And that's why they're allowed to make tons of money with these companies. However, there's no good argument that they should make tons of money for these, with these companies forever whatsoever, right? You take a risk, you put in your assets, and then you cash out at some point. The cash out part is really important. So we've talked about how you would start it, how you would grow it. And then at this point, when we're going to move into sustainability, you cash out, you exit, you've done your entrepreneurial thing, right? Go start another business. You rode this thing all the way to maturity, whether you're a CEO or whoever it is, even if you weren't the original entrepreneur, right? You, you came in later, entrepreneur sold the company, you're the CEO, publicly traded company. But now it's getting to a point, we haven't determined at what level it makes sense. We don't know what the litmus test or the mark demarcating line is to say, hey, this company is now moving from growth cycle to sustainability cycle. But think about soap manufacturers, think about Unilever, think about, you know, palm olive, whatever. We, we just need to be able to clean our clothes and our bodies. It doesn't mean that this company needs to have unending profit forever and ever and ever. It really just needs to continue to provide a service and goods that are durable and useful to society in perpetuity, as far as we can tell. And there's means and mechanisms to do this in a way that makes the company sustainable for the common good. So we can all wash our bodies. And that's by converting these things essentially into nonprofit entities, right? Why? Once we've paid in, created the business, cashed out, everybody's gotten their return on their investment, whether you're a shareholder or, or a private investor, right? You, you gave it money and it returned that money plus some interest. You're cashed out. It's done its deal for finance. Now we just need to sustain the company so that it continues to produce a product for the common good. And we can do that by taking out the shareholder aspect, or at least the, the demand to return proceeds to shareholders by converting these into a new form of nonprofit entity. And not only does it become nonprofit, which doesn't mean it doesn't make a profit, it just means it doesn't return a profit to shareholders. It takes the profit, any profit it makes, and reinvents, reinvests it back in its business, back in its people, back in its employees. And so there's a form of this that we see today, usually on a smaller scale, and I think it's probably borrowed from Marxism, <laughs> um, employee ownership, 
right? We have these cooperatives, usually tends to be the term that's thrown out there, employee-owned cooperatives. And so what you can do is you can take any private company or even a publicly traded company. So this company has grown up, it's got a bunch of shares open on the marketplace. The employees can buy those shares back or enough of those shares to take ownership of the company in and of itself. And it can be done over time, right? It doesn't have to be like a big bang. Okay, all shareholders stock is getting repurchased by the employees of this company. Companies buying all of its stock back. That, that doesn't need to happen overnight. But we can start engaging in this process where the company is removing itself from public ownership and it can be owned by its employees who are there to operate it, right? And deliver the products and the services. And for the profit not to be sent out of the company, but to be retained in it to improve its processes, to take care of the negative or delirious, uh, I can't even use the word, but the negative effects that happen from producing that product. Ray mentioned um, like waste and and pollution and, and things of that nature. So let's not export it to another place on the earth where it's just gonna take longer to, to get to us. Let's deal with it. Let's take some of those revenues and actually put it into solving some of those problems so that the company does become sustainable and it does support the common good in perpetuity. And then this, you know, if it's a nonprofit and it's employee owned, it, it, it would come with a severe, you know, restriction to limit ownership access through publicly traded shares. So, you know, in order the, for the employees to retain control of the company and, and reap the benefits internally, you, you wouldn't have any external entities, companies or otherwise owning more than 51% or 50 or 49% of any of these these companies that were employee owned, they may keep some publicly traded shares out there for the purpose of raising capital. I mean, they probably still need to do capital improvements, right? We've got to replace our factory or something, but you can always sell bonds for that too. You know, don't forget about the bond market. The bond market is a great way to raise capital uh, for any company. With that, let's go ahead and take a break. Here's a message from our sponsor, Citizen Do Good. Politics is war, simply without bloodshed. An old adage that rings true to today. The war for liberty and justice for us all is never over and every battle counts. Our republic still holds the promise of our freedom and it's up to us to unleash its potential. The time is now to reimagine ourselves and our systems of governance for the dawning of a new age. We are a proud sponsor of the Citizens Prerogative Podcast, a major partner in spreading the good word about civic love and the power of change for us all. At Citizen Do Good, we plan to continue having these conversations so that all citizens are encouraged to invest in themselves and their communities. Keeping that goal in mind, we need your help to stay on mission and grow this community. Help spread the word by sharing your favorite posts or Citizens Prerogative Podcast episode from our sponsor's Facebook page, Citizen Do Good. Feel free to use the hashtag CDG when you share. Also, feel free to share any suggestions you have through the Contact Us page at citizendogood.com. Thanks for your support. You said something about, you know, capitalism's about being rewarded for risk. And I think what people need to realize is that eventually the risk is much larger and is eventually ported to everyone that works there, right? Everyone that wakes up every morning and, and commits their life and their, their family's livelihood is, is taking the risk to, to rely on this entity that everyone's working at the same, on the same mission 
that nobody's working against each other. We, we, we as employees, we as workers take on that risk, even at a bank, right? The tellers are the ones opening the bank locations and the robbery happens there. Yeah, the, the bottom line hits the corporation if there's a loss, but the robbery, the trauma happens right there in the bank location with the worker. So that risk starts to scale to everyone. And, and that's, I think what I feel you're saying is that that same reward, right? So eventually you get your money, you, you leave, right? The entrepreneur, great job. But now everyone becomes a mini entrepreneur. Everyone who sustains the idea also deserves the risk reward. They, what about the return on investment for the individuals showing up every day? Yeah, that's exactly right. And making sure that they're caring for their own futures and nest eggs and things like that, right? You don't have a shady CFO who's going to end up bringing it all down like an Enron. Hate to go back to the 90s, but... <laughs> well, they, they were all motivated, right? For the wrong reasons. It shows you what a collective energy can do, if you, but, it, but focus it on the right thing. And, and by the way, the Enron was just trying to survive that system system of endless profits, unsustainable growth. It's just not possible at the top. No, we need to change things. Well, we'll go ahead and move into our calls to action. These may not feel particularly material. They may be more thoughtful than action-oriented. Consider opportunities for your own ideas to start a business. I think it's, it's not easy for people, you know, if you don't have a background in business or anything like that, you know, to wrap your head around what we're talking about necessarily. But if you just try to wear those shoes for a minute, just think about your, your own possible journey if you were maybe to become an entrepreneur, right? Just consider what kind of opportunities, you know, you, you might consider what product or service that you might provide that would be in demand. You know, just think, you don't have to do this on paper with a spreadsheet, but just like, okay, what would I want to do? Just a thought experiment. Okay, then I figure out what I want to do potentially. How much would it cost to realistically begin selling this product or marketing this service, right? How much overhead is really involved? Is it just me? Would I actually have to bring other people in? Do I not have all the knowledge or or the wherewithal to be able to produce whatever this is? Just, again, a thought experiment. You don't even have to put anything on paper. And then think about where and how you would find customers and, and sell the product or service. And check out the amounts you might be able to raise through existing pure group lending platforms, right? Just be, or just consider the fact that you could go out to any one of those companies. I can't think of any of the internet. There's some newer ones that have been starting up startups to help startups <laughs> raise money. Um, but just know that those things are out there and think about, well, how much, how much money would you realistically need for this product or service? And by going through this thought exercise, hopefully you would, would be anchoring a little bit more on some of the topics that we were talking about earlier. Um, put yourself in the shoes or the mentality of that entrepreneur who wants to bring that thing to the market and then, you know, cash out at some point. Cause that's the whole, really the whole point of doing this is that we're 
taking capital and returning capital and and there's some value that's created in the whole transaction um, if you can simplify those ideas to yourself i think it makes it a little bit more accessible to the the journey that we're describing um, and then even in this thought experiment at the end of the road pat yourself on the back for for giving all of the employees the opportunity to own that company or even pivot that view how would you feel to work for a company like that that then offers you ownership or that you would join that company with it offering you ownership so that you have a seat at the table on the board you know through representation and you know that overall what you're contributing your time and energy to is something that is to one degree or another looking out for you and your future and your retirement Hopefully some of that thought experiment will help make the model slightly more material in your own mind. And you can see the, the possibility there. And perhaps it even inspires you to become an entrepreneur. Even if we don't have this model in place, I think it's still a worthy journey for a lot of people. The other call to action besides just the thought experiment we have is similar to a lot of the refrains we put out for calls to action. We would urge you to support local leaders in both business and civics that are willing and capable of trying something new to spur the coming of the next great economy. We need people to think differently and act differently in order to change the future that's gonna be better for us all. One such potentially revolutionary idea is to support new avenues of providing access to training and funding for aspiring entrepreneurs as well as new businesses. So besides just going to the SBA and getting that 50% of the loan, they would have guaranteed another bank. <laughs> Being able to get that startup capital, but more importantly, wouldn't it be nice to be able to explore resources that help you direct that capital in the most efficient way possible to help you avoid some of the poor decision-making or pitfalls that are a risk to any new entrepreneur or small business owner? I think there's a whole responsibility around training in that space, and it doesn't require an MBA. Let's be clear. To be an entrepreneur does not require an MBA degree whatsoever. Starting a small business requires no MBA. It requires some training. It requires some knowledge. And if you've ever operated a household, you've already got a fundamental concept in place that can extend around a small business. And then where does MBA come in? MBA comes in big, big, big companies, lots of dollars, lots of opportunities to do different things with capital because there's just so much there to do with. But a small business operates more like a household. You know, It's limited income, it's limited expenses, and the profit margins aren't so great. You usually don't have a lot of employees. Once you scale, once you scale to a huge degree, that's when that MBA and all that other fancy financial background type stuff comes into play because now it's less about the product it's less about the service it's less about the company and it's all about the capital and that's where things tend to get pretty unsustainable lastly please share with us what you think about these ideas you can go out to our sponsor's facebook page at citizen do good and comment on this episode or other episodes or you can probably just post to us right out of the blue We'd love to hear from the community and, and what you think about these ideas for creating a more sustainable economic model for us and a better future for us all. 
I would say, yes, it might sound odd, but we are interested in your input. We want to hear from the people. I think one thing I notice is a lot of um, podcasts are just there to give you only one message, um, almost like they're being fed it from some kind of funder. I don't know. But, uh, you know, here we're really interested in having a conversation. It's always been the main purpose. And, and, and I think that that's the next step is getting to um, that conversation and the civil conversation we've been looking for for a while. Join us. You're here. That's a wrap. We have been your hosts. Thank you to Mr. Raymond Wong Jr. And thank you, Mr. Piscatelli. This has truly been a donut I can eat. <laughs> Delicious. It's been something, that's for sure. For information on this and other episodes, head over to citizenduga.com and click on podcast. While you're there, hit up the contact us page and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from the community. Special thanks to you, our listeners. We've saved the best for last. You are the best and you have been for years. Thank you for your support. We know it's painful and we love you. Intro music sample from OK Class by Ozzy Jock under Creative Commons license through freemusicarchive.org. Other music provided royalty-free through Fizzling Studios, Inc.